Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoy this content and to uh, share it with others as well. I just finished uh, day six of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings and really the first full week of substantive uh, proceedings where we heard uh, evidence or at least presentations of evidence. In the last two days, including uh, today, were devoted to the other participants, the non-commissioned participants, making requests to the commissioners to have uh, certain particular witnesses called uh, as witnesses for uh, some time later in the commission proceedings. And so, as I've said before, this was somewhat of an unusual uh, process whereby uh, participants really need to ask to have witnesses and then have to really put on the record uh, the questions they may ask, topics they may cover, uh, and that sort of thing. So it's an unusual process. It really gives the witnesses an advantage that they wouldn't have in uh, other circumstances to know the questions and the topics in advance. But uh, anyway, that's the process that the Commission has chosen. There were 18 officers uh, for this first portion, just covering the first uh, part of the massacre. Uh, that took place in Portapique uh, proper. And uh, of those, uh, from what I understand, there's uh, six supervisors and uh, the rest, uh, the other 12, I believe, are more uh, what will be considered frontline uh, police officers and 911 operators. So uh, it was an interesting day. As I mentioned before, there were no opening statements, uh, no opportunity for opening statements given to the participants, the non-commissioner participants, but today was really a, the first opportunity to hear them uh, and hear them put their positions forward and really revealed much about uh, each party's interests. Uh, and in particular, the two, uh, the two police lawyers, or the two uh, entities representing the police, um, had a, a, many chances to speak today. So there was the Department of Justice, uh, represented by uh, Laurie Ward uh, and Patricia McPhee. Uh, Ms. Ward is a lawyer who is also uh, counsel to the DOJ at the Desmond Inquiry, so I've gotten to know her quite well. Uh, as well, Ms. McPhee I've known through, uh, through some litigation work. Uh, both very good lawyers. The other is Natasha Najawa from the uh, National Federation of Police. Now, uh, this will be an interesting point that may arise later in the uh, proceedings because the uh, two G DOJ lawyers, Ms. Ward and Ms. McPhee, are representing the RCMP itself, while Ms. Najawa is representing, which is essentially the union for the police officers, uh, all the police officers below the level of staff sergeant. So one is representing the entity, the other the individual officers, and they are aligned right now, or they were today at least, on these questions. Uh, we'll see if that uh, changes as events unfold and as facts emerge. Anyway, their perspective today was that no officers should be called to testify. And they leaned heavily on the uh, Commission's uh, mandate to be trauma-informed. And they interpret that to mean that uh, we should consider the trauma experiences of the police officers. Uh, they've already given statements and have been interviewed uh, typically by the lawyers for the Commission. And so they've already provided their evidence, in effect, as uh, their position. And to the 
limited extent that they agreed there were any gaps in the evidence provided through their statements. The lawyers uh, for the DOJ and for the National Federation of Police suggested that uh, their officers be given the opportunity to answer questions uh, submitted to them in writing. So like a take-home test, uh, rather than being called to testify in the stand and have the opportunity for cross-examination, follow-up questions, and so forth. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's not clear what the commissioners are going to do with this dispute. I mean, you know, we have the parties representing the families and those most affected asking for these witnesses to be called. And on the other hand, the uh, lawyers for the police and the police organization uh, saying no, they shouldn't be. So the commissioners certainly have a decision to make, and it's going to be a decision that uh, really reveals, in many ways, their approach to the entire uh, Mass Casualty Commission proceedings. Uh, trying to read some of the interactions between, read between the lines of some of the interactions between the commissioners and the lawyers, one kind of stood out, which was uh, Michael Scott from Patterson Law, who was very passionate about, uh, you know, asking for witnesses, and uh, gave a, a good... Um, articulate, uh, articulated why it's important that uh, you know, we take in evidence through examination and cross-examination. Uh, Dr. Stanton, uh, Commissioner Stanton, uh, cut him off at one point and said, well, you've had an opportunity through the work uh, that was done over weeks developing these foundational documents and, you know, isn't that the better way to do it, just to, you know, take your suggestions now and use that to improve the foundational documents. And, you know, just uh, listening to that and reading some of the body language made me think she was inclined uh, to not uh, hear some of these witnesses if they could be avoided at all. And I, you know, I kind of suspect uh, Chief Justice McDonald is, is of a similar mind, although uh, I really think it would be difficult for them to refuse all requests for witnesses, but we'll see what they do. Um, I'll talk about that a little further. but. Actually, the first thing that happened today, remember at the end of the day yesterday, there was a, uh, the day wrapped up early because there was a discussion about a proposed expert from the National Federation of Police, National Police Federation, and this was uh, Dr. Nick Carlton from the University of Regina, a uh, professor there, a psychologist or psychiatrist, uh, who was proposed as an expert to talk about the traumatic experiences of police officers uh, who have investigated serious crimes and, and difficult circumstances and his proposed area of expertise was to sort of give a blanket uh, presentation as to you know why police officers shouldn't be forced to testify in those circumstances but uh, it became very clear very quickly that uh, he was unlikely to be qualified as an expert he's never before been qualified as an expert in court Although that was interesting too, because he was asked about this by Rob Pinio from Patterson Law, or it was pointed out to him, uh, and he said, uh, asked if he was ever qualified as an expert before in court, and he said, not that I can recall, which is uh, a real, I say in my blog piece, a real red flag kind of an answer in any circumstances. Uh, you know, it's usually one of those, you know, answers given by people that don't want to answer the question, but in this case, even more strange in a way, because uh, expert witnesses are often, you know, they, they're very eager 
to be named as an expert witness and declared as an expert witness. They put this on their CV and, and such. And so for an academic in particular not to recall whether they've ever been an expert uh, witness before was a little strange. But anyway, the other probably more uh, serious issue with his uh, report was it was really just a, a document review. He hadn't done any independent study to determine you know, what the impact of uh, traumatic experiences are on uh, officers that then have to uh, testify about the subject matter. So, um, And also he hadn't dealt with uh, any officers before or studied any situations where officers had to testify in a public inquiry setting. So uh, the commissioners took a break, a short break, and then um, came back and determined that they didn't need to hear from uh, Dr. Carlton and that was uh, so that was that they'll decide the uh, you know the issues of any officer testifying is going to be decided on a case-by-case -case basis uh, depending on the probative value of their testimony and any personal circumstances they may uh, you know wish to put forth so after that was uh, dispensed with uh, in the morning there was a discussion, uh, you know, each lawyer then got up and said, well, here's the witness I want to hear from and here's why. Uh, some of them were, um, you know, some of the issues identified, well, first of all, the first 911 call came from, um, you know, uh, Orchard Beach Drive, yet the officers, uh, first responding officers went down uh, Portapique Beach Road. Um, you know, why is that? Uh, identification of the, the timing of the, the Zal Thomas House uh, fire. Uh, dealings with the children, that was uh, an issue that was brought up too, you know, um, when they went there, uh, two of the officers that went uh, seemed to have gone against supervisor's uh, instructions, and then when they got to the house, uh, there was supposed to be this code word, pineapple, to, uh, you know, let the children know that's a legitimate police officer, but the officers that actually went to the house uh, didn't use the code word, and yet situation they were able to evacuate the children so some questions uh, still emerging from you know that part of the scenario but uh, that you know that wasn't elicited out in the in the statement so far another question was about uh, the containment of the community you know was uh, did the officers that were driving towards Portapique uh, meet the um, Wartman in his fake police car going in the opposite direction they've said they haven't uh, some questions about that too and how that's possible and just trying to sort out parts of the timeline so certainly seemed uh, to me from my understanding of the evidence so far and I've listened to it closely that there's some issues there where evidence uh, could be helpful and I think uh, people really want to hear evidence so um, we'll see what the commissioners do with that uh, next week um, the other question or the uh, something that came up through Commission Council sort of in response to requests for certain officers was that some of the officers including uh, uh, Stuart Baselt uh, and some of the other early responders are are going to be participating in witness circles later in the commission proceedings now, what's a witness circle well it's not quite clear what that means it's not laid out in detail in the uh, on the commission website it's not something that's um, common uh, from what I can see to inquiries. Uh, you see uh, sentencing circles and other kind of circles in restorative justice criminal matters. Um, but the only example I could see was the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children restorative inquiry which used circles extensively. And in, 
in that inquiry they say they they use them to what they say is disrupt common adversarial assumptions and uh, it allows us to think about connections and interrelationships and to share space to talk and deliberate together so you can imagine a situation with you know uh, police officer, firefighters, ambulance drivers, or other first responders, uh, community members maybe, you know, participating in, uh, you know, a discussion and, and having that kind of, um, you know, you can see some value in that. Um, you know, the interrelationship among the agencies and the various stakeholders. But certainly it's not a way to get specific facts and deal with, you know, the, the minutia of evidence and the way that you can do through cross-examination. So uh, certainly uh, I wouldn't expect the commissioners to view that as a substitute for having uh, particular witnesses come and testify. So um, we'll see what that uh, how, what that means in practice when, uh, you know, I guess in months to come when uh, those circles take place. So uh, that was it for this week. Monday uh, they, they did wrap up a little early today because the weather is unfolding in, in Halifax and throughout Nova Scotia. It's snowing here as well. Uh, next uh, week on Monday, we're going to the commission is going to go through the remainder of the uh, police officers that have been suggested for this portion of, uh, of the situation as potential witnesses deal with that. Hopefully identify uh, those who are going to testify and make a decision on that basis and then we'll uh, proceed from there. Uh, so that's uh, that was it for today. It was uh, an interesting day. It really showed some of the parties and their interests. Uh, we went through our first potential expert witness who was uh, not accepted as an expert, so that's certainly uh, significant. And then uh, we went through some of the police officers and we uh, had an opportunity to hear from lawyers for most of the parties uh, involved in this portion of the commission uh, hearings and see what see what kind of approach they're going to take so uh, it was quite interesting stuff uh, i'll be back monday to watch the uh, hearings and report to you as i said uh, other posts you can follow me on twitter throughout the day i do some posting of uh, things that seem to be going on from uh, you know any legal matters that are uh, ongoing and this Sunday night, I'll be uh, back joining uh, Jordan Bonaparte at the, uh, in the nighttime podcast. Uh, that's a live YouTube show starting at 9.15. And you can look up the nighttime podcast on YouTube for that, and I'll uh, share the links as well. So anyway, uh, that is uh, everything for day six of the MASH Casualty Commission proceedings. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe, share with a friend, and otherwise we'll see you next time.